Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Hey, uh, welcome. Welcome to RVC. Uh, my name is Jeremiah Spears, if I haven't met you yet. Uh, I oversee students here at River Valley Church, uh, high school and junior high, and so um, typically when Gordon is away um, on vacation or something, enjoying time with his wife, I think he's in San Diego right now, hanging out with his son, um, so he'll ask me to to speak. Um, and so, yeah, it really is a pleasure for uh, me to be here. Um, really cool. Yesterday, um, <clears throat> we had a junior high intern named Mason. Uh, some of you might know him, and uh, he got married yesterday, so that was really exciting. Him and Riley. Um, it was a beautiful wedding. Lots of tears, um, which I think if you know me, you already know that I'm a crier, and um, I, I don't think I'm going to cry today, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but it was like, oh man, it was like tons of tears and uh, it was fun. It was so fun. Just a beautiful, beautiful wedding. Um, so that was really cool. And it was really interesting. I was talking to Jamin today and then today, today, yes, is Jamin's six year anniversary, him and his wife. Yeah. <clears throat> and then, <laughs> and, uh, and then tomorrow is actually my wife and I's 13 year anniversary. So Yeah. Uh, so I am married, been married for 13 years tomorrow, and, um, and she's a joy. Um, yeah, I'm going to cry. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so um, we've been working through this series uh, called Citizens of the Kingdom. And uh, we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount. And w- what does it look like as followers of Christ, now that we've become citizens of his kingdom, what does it actually look like to live within his kingdom? Um, and so we've um, this is a, a sermon that was given on, on multiple occasions. Um, I think Gordon has addressed this before, that, that it wasn't just a, a one-time sermon, you know, Jesus gave at one point, and Matthew recorded it, and so did Mark, and so did Luke. Um, but it actually was given on, on multiple occasions. This, this probably very, I mean, because he was Jesus, he probably gave it the exact same way, I don't know. But it was given regularly, because for him, he wanted his people to see what does it actually look like now that I'm coming? You're going to be followers of me. You are going to be citizens of a new kingdom. What does it actually look like to live within that kingdom? And so, so he would give it regularly. Um, whenever you see in scripture, um, I was always confused by this because I'd be reading through scripture and it'd be like, oh, and, and Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. And oh, he was like talking about the kingdom of God. And it was kind of like, okay, well, I'm, I'm like, well, what, what is he teaching? Like, I, I want to know this. And, and this is m- more than likely, obviously we don't know 100%, but on a very high percentage, more than likely, this message was the one that he was teaching regularly to people. And we've talked about anger, we've talked about murder and hatred and lust and divorce and deception. We've talked about all of these subjects that Christ says, look, this is how you've heard it said that um, you should live, but I'm telling you as a kingdom of the citizen of God, this is now how you should live your life. And so then he, he moves on to a retaliation. Um, and he's, he's talked about so far all of these things that are kind of anti-kingdom. Like, if you live this way, you are not living as if you are in the kingdom of God. Um, When we are saved, Scripture tells us that we are rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. So we are now citizens. He says, if you live this way, you're living anti-kingdom. Like, when you're in heaven, you will not live that way. But if you live this way... You actually have the opportunity to bring a small piece of of heaven to earth. This is what heaven is going to look like. So Jesus says that when we become believers, um, it's not just simply this this prayer that I say. It's not just like, a oh, I raised my hand and now I'm saved. I'm not just saved from hell, which a lot of times when we're saved, we're like, okay, well, don't got to go to hell anymore, you know? But it's like, I'm actually saved to something. And it's interesting to me because we say we, we pronounce Jesus as Savior and Lord. Like, hey man, is, is Jesus Lord and Savior of your life? And I think the Savior part, I really like. I don't think, I know. I like the Savior part. I love that I'm saved from my sin. I know how ugly my sin is. But I, sometimes the Lord part is a little more difficult for me. Like, I actually am now to make Jesus the reigning king 
of my life. And as a king, he says, dear subject, which is interesting because he doesn't even call us a subject. It's a dear friend, right? We are now brothers with one another, children of the living God. He says, now live this way. And the interesting thing to me is that Jesus, the king, doesn't call us to live a certain way that he hasn't already lived. Jesus never calls us to do something that he hasn't already done himself. And what's interesting in this passage that we're going to talk through today, as is processing it and praying through it, is I'm realizing there's a lot of cultural norms that we have within our North American context that are challenged by Scripture. And I think this, that this is going to challenge some of our North American cultural norms. And the thing that I have to remember is that I am no longer just a citizen of the United States. But I am now, and, and subject to its culture, but I am now a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and I am now subject to the culture of Christ. And so our lives <clears throat> naturally are going to look different. So we're going to be in Matthew 5, 38 through 42. Um, if you want to turn there, you can turn there now. Um, before, I, before I get into it, uh, let, me, let me just pray. Um, so would you pray with me? Father, we are, um, God, we're so thankful for who you are. Jesus, I'm thankful that, that you saved me, that you called me out of the dominion of darkness, and you brought me into your kingdom of light. Father, I'm reminded of <clears throat> my sin and um, how ugly it is. And so, God, I'm thankful for your mercy and your grace. And God, I, I do ask that you, would, that you would change our hearts. Father, that we would um, know you more intimately. That our, our hearts and our lives would be shaped by your word and not culture. Not what other people say we should do. And not what our sinful nature wants to do. But God, that our hearts, our minds, our very lives would be shaped um, by your word. And Father, I just confess to you my sin, God, that I, I, I care a lot, a lot more about what people think about me than what you think. And so, Father, I just confess that to you. So, God, I ask that you would speak to us today. Um, Jesus, we're thankful that you're here, that you're alive, and that you love us. So, God, would you shape us and mold us? <clears throat> In Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew 5, 38 through 42 is where we're going to pick up. Um, so if you, uh, if you would, you can read along with me. Um, hopefully you bring your Bible. It's just a, a note. We, I mean, we'd love for you to just bring your Bibles with you, um, to just follow along in your own word. Um, if you want to make notes, it's really okay to write in your Bible. Like no one's, it's not a, a convicting sin. Uh, Yes, or a, uh, it's not a sin to uh, write in your Bible, so um, we'd love for you to bring them and make notes, underline things, just don't cross things out that you don't like. Um, so Matthew 5, uh, 38 through 42, it says this, it says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic or your jacket, let him have your cloak or your shirt as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So we see here that Jesus, again, speaking to a multitude of people, he says, this is what kingdom living looks like. And, and he, he references three attacks here. First is the attack on your, your physical person. 
the slapping of a right cheek, which is interesting to me, just to note, is that um, if I'm going to slap you, um, and in this time, this was a, uh, you know, right-handed culture as well, right? If I'm going to slap you, I'm going to slap you here, and if you're standing there, I'm going to hit your left cheek, right? So if I'm angry with you, and I'm at brutal force with you, and I'm, I'm like, I'm going to attack you severely, I'm going to hit you with my right hand on the left cheek. Now, if I'm hitting you on the right cheek, it's probably less of a, like, I'm coming at you and I'm going to brutally destroy you and more of an insult. But I think, I think people get hung up on that and go, well, like, I mean, just, you know, for the insult, I turn the other cheek. But if someone is, like, you know, brutally attacking me, like, I got to fight back. I don't think that's what Jesus is trying to get here, okay? Um, so, he says there's an attack on our physical person. Then there's an attack on our possessions. He says if someone sues you for your, your cloak or your tunic, um, give him your cloak as well, right? Sues you for your jacket, give him your shirt as well. So there's an attack on your person, an attack on our possessions, and then an attack on our time and our energy. Jesus says if someone forces you to go one mile, go two miles with them. And so the first one I want to look at here is just the attack on our, on our physical person. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And so this was a command, okay? This was a command that was given in the Old Testament time um, that was given to the judges, um, and um, when God gave the law to Moses, um, he gave a, a lot of laws, but one of them was if, if someone is um, injured, the same injury should be given back, okay? Again, it was given to the Old Testament judges at the time. And this is, it comes from Leviticus 24, and this is what it says. Whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good, life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor as he is done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. So this is a command by God as, as, a, way, uh, as a way of keeping justice. God says, look, judges, when you're out there judging, if someone comes and says, hey, that guy hurt my eye, then that guy's eye should be afflicted back, okay? Um, so it's, but it was primarily given, this law is given for three reasons, to protect the weak from the strong, so if I'm weak, I'm a weak person, and there's a stronger person out there, I know that I am protected, that, that no one is going to come to me and, and try to hurt me or take my possessions or anything like that because they know they're going to get what they're, um, they're going to get the same in return. So given to protect the weak from the strong, uh, it's given to deter the evil person. Now, if I'm an evil person, I have a contentious heart, and I really don't care about anybody else, and I'm like, man, I'm going to go, and I'm going like, to cut that guy's hand off, because I really don't like him. The thought is, this law is given, that I would go, well, maybe not. Like, because I, I don't like that guy, but I like my two hands. And so, like, cutting off his hand probably not a great idea. So, right, given to deter the evil person. And then it's also given to prevent the judge from doling out too severe of a punishment. So, again, reminder, given to the judges of the time. And so, these two people come to the judge, and this guy's like, hey, that guy, he cut off my pinky. And the judge's like, take his life, right? Let's, it's, it's given so that they would actually give justice and if the judge is a harsh person, then they can't give out more justice than what is required, okay? So again, all good things, justice. But what happens is, is that over time, we as sinful human beings turn what is good into what is not really good. And this is what happens at the time. At this time, it went from the judges can give justice in this certain way to, hey, Jamin, guess what? Anyone he afflicts you, man, go for it. Like, judgment is up to anybody. 
now. And the Pharisees would teach this. They would say, look, someone strikes you on the right cheek, strike them as well. Someone hurts your eye, man, hurt their eye as well. Look, you matter more than anybody else. And so whatever somebody does to you, you do it back to them. So the Pharisees had turned this into a way to retaliate towards other people. And so Jesus tells us, though, that as citizens of a different kingdom, that retaliation is not up to you and I. Instead of demanding an eye for an eye, we actually give up our rights so that we might live at peace with other people. In, uh, in 1 Peter um, 3, 9, Peter says this, and it should be on the screen. He says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. <clears throat> that is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. You see, instead of repaying evil for evil, our roles as citizens are actually to repay evil with a blessing. Now, Peter goes on to say, now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? I mean, logical argument, right? If you're eager to do good, who's going to want to harm you? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. Look, so don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. You see, Peter says that, man, when you live this way, there's something that's going to happen when other people see you living this way, that they're going to be moved in some way to go something clearly different about you because you're not living like other people living in our earthly kingdom. You're living differently. What, what is this hope that you have? And Peter says, man, always be ready to give an answer when you're asked for what hope you have. You see, our default setting in our sinful human nature is always to repay evil for evil. Uh, have you ever watched a kid playing? Okay. And um, I was just talking um, earlier and I was saying, I went on this uh, parent life trip and we had some kids we were watching. And whenever a kid is hit, what happens? I mean, the kid automatically, it's like nat just natural, right? The kid just retaliates and they hit back. We were helping friends move yesterday, right? And they have two boys and they are wonderful boys. And man, they would not stop fighting, right? We're trying to move these heavy desks and they're just like, yeah, ah, like hitting. And I'm like, could you just get out of the way? You know, like they just, it's constant. One hits, the other hits back. That's our human sinful nature, but Jesus says, look, as citizens of his kingdom, we actually have a new setting. We don't live by our default setting anymore. We have a new setting. And that's not to repay evil for evil, but to actually bless people. Uh, like, that's absurd to me, um, just personally. Because when I'm offended in some way, and I'm ridiculed, made fun of, if I'm hit or cut off in traffic, I, my automatic reaction, you might be surprised, is not, bless you. <laughs> it's, uh, so to me, this is absurd. Um, the world, however, doesn't just say it's absurd. The world says, that's cowardly. Jesus says, it's not cowardly. That's kingdom living. Oswald Chambers um, wrote this little book here. It's, it's great. Um, it's called Studies on the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this about this. He says, naturally, if a man does not hit back, it is because he is a coward. Supernaturally, it is the manifestation 
of the Son of God in him. Both have the same appearance outwardly. You see, to the world, when we act this way, they say, coward. Supernaturally, it's the Son of God working in us and through us to bless instead of curse. Now, naturally, my mind kind of bucks against this. Um, I, I start to ask questions like, because um, he says earlier um, in 38, he says, uh, do not resist an evil person. And my mind automatically um, says, well, you know, okay, what, what, is, what does he mean by resist? Like, what, what, what can I get away with? Or, you know, well, like, you know, what if someone is physically attacking me or my family? And I think about this regularly. Uh, um, I I think, like, well, what if Cambria is being attacked? Someone is coming and physically attacking my wife or physically attacking me. What do I do? I was trying to come up with some sort of thing to tell you, to tell myself. And I just realized, like, why is it that my mind automatically goes to some hypothetical situation that has never happened and probably never will? And if I'm honest with you, it's because I don't want to repay evil with a blessing. My natural inclination is to repay evil for evil. I want every excuse to get out of blessing someone who does evil to me. And so my mind automatically goes to this extreme situation because then maybe I can justify resisting evil. But more than likely, you and I are to be offended when we're out driving, or we're at work and someone talks badly about us, or we're at home and we're spo- and our spouse lashes out at us, or our kids lash out at us. Uh, Brant Hansen wrote a book called Unoffendable. Highly recommend it. Um, I think he's the DJ on like Air One or K-Love or something. Um, Because when I heard his voice, I was like, oh, like I recognize that voice. Anyway, he wrote this book called Unoffendable. Um, Funny story. Wasn't going to share this, but I'm going to. Funny story. I I had something that happened at work that kind of offended me. And I was talking to my boss and I was like, man, it just like really offended me. Like I was was really offended. And um, then like two days later... (laughs) Two days later, I showed up to the office, and in my box at work was this book called Unoffendable. <laughs> I was so offended that he, <laughs> that he put this, I'm like, really? Like, you couldn't come up to me? And then he goes, and I'm like, hey, anybody know where this book came from? And he goes, oh, yeah, like so-and-so like wants everyone to go through that book. And I'm like, really? How do, why is it I don't see this book anywhere else? So anyway, I'm easily offendable. Um, but anyway, he wrote this book, and I, I, I read it, and it's good. I read most of it, anyway. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but, but I think he sums up our attitude, like, very succinctly. And this is what he says. It's kind of a long quote, so bear with me. Everybody's an idiot but me. I'm awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's right, right? Like, isn't that really what we're thinking when we're offended, when we're smited in some way or we're hurt in some way? We're like, I don't know about you, but I'm like, you're an idiot, right? Like, I mean, that's our automatic thought. Everybody's an idiot, but me, man, I'm awesome. Someone strikes me on the tree, on the cheek or insults me, or I hear about someone talking badly about me, or I get cut off in traffic, which happens all the time in a 73 Super Beetle that maybe goes 62 miles an hour. Um, Someone starts ridiculing me 
for my beliefs. But when I do those same things, suddenly I'm in the right. Oh, thanks, I'm in a hurry. Oh, you know, like, I, I mean, man, you know, we could just, if we could just take a moment and pray for this person because, you know, and then I start talking badly about them. Suddenly, I'm in the right. You see, my sinful heart says, you're all idiots, and I'm awesome. Your sinful heart says, we're all idiots, and you're awesome. See, the gospel, the gospel says, we're all idiots, and only God is awesome. And what did, what did God do? I mean, God didn't just sit there and go, you're all idiots, and I'm awesome. And he could have rightly and justly done so. But no, he does something entirely different. Scripture tells us that though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus, God himself, comes to earth who has every right not to, He doesn't come in the form of living in palaces and the best life possible, but born to the poorest of the poorest family. And then he's beaten, ridiculed, mocked to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so, because of that, Paul sums up what our hearts should be in any situation. He says, do not Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. See, culture says you got to take care of you because you are the most important. And Jesus says, no, no, you actually take care of others and you consider them more important than yourself because that's what I did. When we become citizens of God's kingdom, our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, our actions, everything is geared towards his economy, his kingdom living. And so now uh, we, have to, we have to absolutely address um, those who are in or have been in abusive relationships because we can't talk about turning the other cheek without talking through this because we might hear, oh, if I'm in some sort of physically or emotionally, some sort of abusive relationship, oh, I have to just stay in it because Jesus is calling me to turn the other cheek. And I want you to hear, absolutely not. Jesus does not say, oh, just stay there and keep turning the other cheek. Seek help. Get out of that situation. We run from that situation or we call the proper authorities, but don't feel this like, oh, I have to now stay in this situation. But retaliation is not up to you. We call the proper authorities and we let them handle it, but it's not up to you. As a follower of Christ living in his kingdom, we're still called to bless. So Jesus' theme of considering others more important than yourself continues on in this passage. Um, He says, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. You see, Jesus moves from an attack on our physical person, being slapped in the cheek, to now an attack on our possessions. And um, again, this comes from the Old Testament, okay? So someone wanted to borrow, like I wanted to borrow something from Jamin, 
I mean, I didn't have a way to repay him. I could give him a pledge or I could give him my jacket. My, my, um, and then um, he could, um, that was a way of saying, hey, I will pay you back. Um, but what would happen is, is now I could, I could say like, oh, I'll just like give you my jacket. And then I'm going to sue you for my jacket. Um, and Jesus says, look, look, an attack on our possession, if someone sues you for your jacket, to give them actually your shirt as well. So now, now someone's coming and saying like, hey, you borrowed something. I'm going to sue you for your jacket in the Old Testament time. He's saying, look, don't just give them your jacket. Give them your shirt as well. Jesus says, look, instead of demanding that you get your jacket back, give them your shirt. Give up everything. Look, we are to live at peace with all people for the sake of the gospel. Jesus says, go above and beyond for the sake of the gospel. Now, Jesus isn't in any way condemning the legitimate use of court, but he is saying, look, if someone sues you over some sort of trifling matter, someone comes to you and starts to sue you over something trifling. Parts of Scripture say, look, try to settle before you go to court. But here he says, look, if they sue you, like, give up more than you're asked for. Now, again, this, this isn't if um, someone comes and in some sort of absurd way is now trying to, like, sue you and, like, um, cleverly with the use of lawyers, like, sue you and take all of your possessions um, that you're supposed to just, like, sit idly by and go, okay, well, have it. I mean, if you did, what an amazing proclamation of the gospel to someone, Right? But he says, look, if someone comes to you over a trifling matter, and I'm thinking through this as, as, you know, I don't know if we enter into, maybe we do, in lawsuits regularly, um, but if you've ever been a part of some sort of lawsuit or legal battle, it's never pretty. Um, filtering things. That's the pause. Um, it's never pretty. And so when we are approached by someone and it's saying, hey, look, I'm demanding that you give me this. We go, okay, well, I'm going to give you this. And how about I give you a little more? Again, in the same way, in some form or fashion, that's a proclamation of the gospel to that person. And they see something different in you as opposed to one who wants to retaliate or demand their own rights. Jesus says again, he says, consider others more important than yourself. Jesus then moves on to our time and our energy. He says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Again, this is from uh, the time, right? A Roman law where anybody could come along and demand, a, a Roman um, centurion or a Roman officer could come along and demand that you carry their stuff for one mile. That was the law. And um, you probably, maybe in your brain, you're going, hmm, when did I see in Scripture where someone was demanded to carry something by a Roman officer, right? We see that in Simon the Cyrene, where Jesus is carrying his cross and he can't bear to carry it anymore. And the Roman officer's looking around, and he's like, you, carry this cross for him. And in Scripture, we don't, I mean, I would have been like, I'm out. Like, see, I'm not carrying, like, I don't know who that guy is. Like, I, what, did, what did he do? I'm not carrying his cross. But again, Roman law, Simon goes, okay, and Simon carries Jesus' cross for him. And Jesus says, look, the law is you've got to go one mile. That's the law. It can't make you go more than that. And Jesus says, that's the law, but I'm calling you not to just go one, but to go two miles. You see, the, the citizen of God's kingdom should be marked by peace, love, and generosity for all people. Our, our time, 
our energy, our physical possessions, even our own bodies are to be given up for the sake of living at peace with other people. A lot of times we're told, look, you have rights and you got to demand those rights. And Jesus says, no, our rights are to be given up for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the good news that other people might know Jesus. You see, making Jesus known is not just I go out and I tell you about Jesus, but I make Jesus known by the way that I live my life as well. Scripture says you, you don't matter to you anymore because you've entrusted yourself to God. So now other people can be considered more important than yourself. Now, Jesus finishes this section by saying, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. I'm going to read you a a little excerpt from this book on Sermon on the Mount, um, Oswald Chambers, um, because I just think it, I, yeah, it just says what I would love to say. Again, this is the scripture Jesus is, that Oswald is, cha- is referring to, give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. In verse 42, of, verse 42 is an arena for theological acrobats. This verse stated, um, and then he says, Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow from thee, turn not thou away. He says, this is the statement of either a madman or God incarnate. We always say we do not know what Jesus Christ means when we know perfectly well he means something which is blunt, a blunt impossibility unless we can remake, he can remake us and make it possible. Jesus brings us with terrific force straight up against the impossible. And until we get to the place of despair, we will never receive from him the grace that enables us to do the impossible and manifest his spirit. These statements of Jesus revolutionize all our conceptions of charity. Much of our modern philanthropy is based on the motive of giving to the poor man or poor person because they deserve it, or because we are distressed at seeing them poor. Jesus never taught charity from these motives. He said, give to him that asketh thee, not because he deserves it, but because I tell you to. The great motive in all giving is Jesus Christ's command. He goes on to say later on, he says, give to him that asketh thee. Why do we always make this mean money? Our Lord makes no mention of money. The blood of most of us seems to run in gold. The reason we make it mean money is because that is where our heart is. Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give thee, grant, God grant we may understand that the spring of giving is not impulse or inclination, but the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I give because Jesus tells me to. You see, when I see that person on the side of the road who's begging for things, I don't know if your thought is like mine, but my thought is like, man, I, I, I can't give them money. I don't know what they'll do with it. Oh, if they just worked hard enough, they'd be able to have what I have. But I think sometimes we're blinded by our own sin that we don't recognize that, that what you and I have is not because We are so awesome. What you and I have is because God is awesome. And he has blessed us with those things. 
And in some crazy form or fashion, we think that we are deserving, more deserving of those things than other people are. When, G- when Scripture tells us, you're not, I'm not. We are not deserving, more deserving than anybody else. They're given to us because of the grace of God and the love with which he loved us. My mind always goes to money. But what if I stopped and I gave them food? Better yet, better yet, what if I stopped and I gave them my time and my energy? Jesus Christ calls us to love other people in such a radical way and a very radical way would be stopping, getting a name, getting a story. I think we don't do this because, and we consider ourselves more important than others. And Jesus says, citizens, of the kingdom of heaven, and this ought not to be. Consider others more important than yourself. You see, Jesus gave up everything for our sake, and he asks us to do the same for others. The gospel, the good news that you and I are lost that we're doomed, that there's nothing we deserve, there's no good that we can do to save ourselves, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved you and me, decided to shower his grace and his mercy upon us. Man, that's the gospel. And in some way we start to think, well, maybe I did a little bit to earn it. And God says, no, it's because of my grace and your mercy. Therefore, go and do the same to others. I think Oswald is right. I know Oswald is right. We cannot live this way without the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. You see, Paul in Galatians um, 5, he says this, that the Holy Spirit, when you become a believer, the Holy Spirit is now given to you and indwells you, and now you have the opportunity to live through the power of the Holy Spirit, and what that power produces in us is this kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Anything other than that is not fruit from the Spirit. Any other thought, word, or deed that we do, say, or think is not from the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus Christ, God himself came and he gave up everything and then he calls us to do the same. And as I stated earlier, man, this is What heaven would look like is this kind of living. And we have an opportunity as citizens of his kingdom to bring pieces of heaven to earth. And by people seeing those pieces of heaven, they're moved. Now, where do we go from here? I mean, what, is our, what does our life look like as we walk out those doors and are immediately offended because someone is trying to get out the door at the same time as me, or someone pulls in front of me in the parking lot and I'm like, oh, you should have considered me more important than yourself and let me go. Where do we go? I mean, I, just imagine for a moment what your marriage would look like. If you considered your spouse more important than yourself. What would your family look like? Your extended family. You know, Uncle Bob, you have a really hard time with. You know, that guy is a jerk. What would your family gatherings look like? 
if you considered them more important than yourself? What if at work tomorrow, as you're going about your day and that cranky boss who you really don't like because he's always nagging you or she's always nagging you, and what would work look like if when they asked you to do something that's not in your job description, once again, what if you did it? And you lived without a contentious heart and you considered them more important than yourself. I think our homes would be a place of peace. They would be a place of rest. They would be a place where people would long to come and be because they're experiencing a piece of heaven. I think our workplaces would be a place of peace and love. And people would long to work there, to work alongside of you. And it would open up doors for us to be able to say, man, this is the hope I have. I am an idiot. But God is awesome. And he considered me more important than himself in some amazing way. And he came to earth and he gave up his life for me. I th- this, um, I don't think we have it anymore, but Philippians 2, 3 through 5, um, if you have a, a next step card here, we have these little bulletins in here, and, and we have a next step on the back there. And I just want to encourage you, maybe your next step is, you know, I'm going to memorize Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider other people more important than yourself. And I'm going to memorize that. And when I wake up in the morning, I'm just going to, I'm going to quote that scripture to myself over and over again. By the time I get out of bed, I'm going to have to quote it to myself again because I'm already going to be considering myself more important than others. And before I walk in, to my job place or school tomorrow. I'm going to quote it again. Maybe, maybe there's someone in your life who has struck you on the right cheek. They've offended you in some way, and you're still holding on to that resentment, that anger. Maybe it's a family member or a coworker. And can I just encourage you, maybe, maybe you just go up to them and you say, hey, when you, when you did this, it really hurt me. And I've been angry with you. And so would you forgive me for holding my anger against you? I mean, what a beautiful picture of reconciliation. I don't know, I don't know what it is for you, but I, th- I think... That as we read through this scripture, I think every one of us, I know for me, man, this last week has just been like a, like every moment I'm like, oh my gosh, I am horrible. Like regularly with my wife, I'm like, she's like, hey, can you do this? I'm like, oh, I'm tired. Like people at work, I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this. I get cut off in traffic. I mean, it's regular for me. And so I just, my hope is, is that as we, as we leave here today, that we recognize, look, there's nothing, we can't do this in our own strength. You can't, I can't do it in our own strength. But if we, if we remind ourselves of the gospel, that the God of the universe came and did this for me, man, maybe, just maybe, it'll motivate me to do that for other people. And so my hope is that you would not go, oh, like, well, I'm a horrible person and leave here. But that you would go, man, I, I am a sinner. I have sinned and I've offended other people and God. But God, being rich in mercy, lavished his grace and his love upon you that you would be saved. And now we have the opportunity to do it for other people. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I admit, God, I cannot do this in my own power. 
Father, I, I'm afraid that people will look at me as a coward. God, that's a, a real fear of mine. And so God, would you help me to turn the other cheek? Father, would you um, help us who are citizens of your kingdom to turn the other cheek, to give up our jacket when it's demanded of us, and then to give up our shirt as well? God, would you help us to give up our time and our energy for those who ask us for things? And Father, help us to give to everyone who begs of us. God, your word says that living this way is healing to our flesh and refreshment to our bones. And so God, would you help us to live this way? God, that you would be glorified in everything that we do and that people would see something different in us. So as with your eyes closed and um, we don't ever want to miss an opportunity uh, for someone who has not placed their faith in Jesus. So if you're here today and, and you say, man, I, I hear, like, I recognize, like, yes, I'm, I am a sinner. Like, I have sin in my life. I have brokenness in my life. But I hear this message that, that this God came to redeem me from that sin, to save me from it. If that's something that you're resonating with right now and you want to, you want to place your faith in Jesus, you want to receive God's free gift of grace, man, we don't want to leave here without someone doing that. But I want you to remember that it, you know, a raised hand and a decision now means living a life that looks different as well. It means living like this. And that's the life that Jesus calls you to. So to count the cost before making the decision. Man, if you're here and you're like, I, I want to receive God's grace, I would love to just lead you in prayer. Um, if that's something you would like to do, would you just raise your hand? give you an opportunity to just pray and process. If you would like to receive God's grace, you could just raise your hand right now and we'll pray together. Well, God, we're thankful um, again, Father, for your mercy and your grace towards us. Oh, God. Oh, God, help us to live this way. God, that our lives would bring you glory, that people would long to know you, that it would give us an opportunity to talk about your grace and your mercy. So God, help us to live this way. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.